Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 16. Now, we've been um, tracing the life of King David together, uh, his rise to the throne. And uh, last Sunday, uh, our kids demonstrated for us um, how uh, David uh, slew Goliath and uh, in one favor in the eyes of Israel. And this morning we're going to read about uh, King Saul and how he reacts to David's growing popularity. And uh, he reacts by becoming very, very jealous of David. In fact, that jealousy will ultimately be Saul's undoing. He's going to chase David out of the palace He's going to um, go to war with David, and David, in defending himself, uh, will wind up defeating Saul and rising to the throne. And so this morning we see how that relationship of jealousy begins. So it's 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 16. Hear now the word of our Lord. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he gain but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came and forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Most of you all know by now that I'm kind of a nerd. Y'all don't need to act so shocked by that. Um, I, I, I love to read comic books. Uh, I love to go see superhero movies. And my favorite is, is Marvel, all things Marvel. I love, uh, love to go see Marvel movies. And I've managed to pass that on to my kids 
and um, even my wife, who when we were first married, um, didn't know Superman from Batman, and now uh, now she's uh, she knows all the finer points of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm proud of that. That's my doing. Um, but there's uh, there's one character I feel like she likes just a little bit too much, and that's one of the Avengers, and his name is Thor. And uh, if you've ever seen Thor, you know what I'm talking about. Um, he's, uh, he's got this, he's this Asgardian warrior with, uh, with flowing blonde hair. He uh, wields this hammer that can summon thunder and lightning. Um, he uh, is played by a dashing young Australian named uh, Chris Hemsworth, uh, who has a pearly white smile and biceps that are bigger than my head. And... I feel like I feel like Crystal's heart beats just a little bit faster when he's on screen and it's a little too fast for my liking. And so in these moments I feel a little threatened by Thor. I feel a little jealous of Thor. I don't like the fact that deep down I know I'm not worthy to lift the hammer. And it's a silly example, I guess, but it does bother me. I, I, I have these, uh, I have these, uh, the, these visions of, of coming home from work one day and all of Crystal's bags are packed and she says, I'm leaving you for Thor. <laughs> and I picture him like in the backyard uh, teaching my son how to hunt wild boar with his bow and arrow and, and uh, having tea parties with my kids. And... Uh, and, and greeting me at the door when I come to pick up the kids for the weekend and squeezing my hand and crushing every bone in it. Well, he flashes that perfect smile. I guess what I'm trying to say is, Thor is a big stupid dummy and I hate him. <laughs> um, it's a silly example. But it's not so silly when Thor is the handsome co-worker at work. Or Thor is the ex-fiance that your husband won't unfriend on Facebook for some reason. Or when Thor is uh, the younger person in office that got the promotion that you feel like you've worked years for. Or if Thor is another sibling that in your dysfunctional family, it seems all too obvious is the favorite. Or maybe Thor is the uh, girl at school who always gets the boys. Or the football player that everyone wants to be friends with. Then Thor is not such a silly example. Then you've got a case of what Shakespeare calls that green-eyed monster, jealousy. And jealousy, if you're not careful, can consume your life and destroy your relationships. Shakespeare called it the green-eyed monster. Our scripture reading this morning calls it an evil spirit, jealousy. When it finds a, fit hold, a foothold in your life, it can lead to the destruction of your relationships. 
And in Saul's life, we see the destructive downward spiral of jealousy. It eventually consumes him and, 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 and motivates his every action. He winds up going to war with, with the person who should be his most trusted general, his son-in-law. But he is so consumed by jealousy, he can't see anything outside of it. And Saul's sad story ends with him falling on his own sword. It's self-destructive. And for Saul, it all begins with a song lyric he doesn't like. How jealousy happened. It begins with this, this, this little small slight, this, this, this little thing that we just we can't let go of. We say, What does that mean? What did she mean by that? Why did he say that that way? You have to picture uh, the, the young men of Israel are coming home from war. It's been a successful one or two year campaign. They managed, to, uh, they managed to defeat the Philistines on their border and they didn't lose an inch. And they're walking through the city gate and King Saul is leading on his white horse and then his generals behind him and then all the young men of Israel. And it's a glorious day. He's, he's returning a triumphant king. This should be the greatest day of his life. And the women come out to, to greet the men. And, and, and his mother's greeting their young sons. It's, 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 it's uh, wives greeting their husbands. It's children kind of shyly warming up to fathers that they've not seen for a couple of years. And there's tears and there's laughter and there's music. And, and, and there's women with, with tambourines and, 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 and lyres and flutes. And they're singing, and they're singing this song. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Here's what you have to understand about Hebrew poetry. First of all, the big numbers aren't exact. In Hebrew, the big numbers are never really exact. They're usually largely symbolic. Uh, because after a while, you just, you just stop counting. And when you're saying thousands, you're meaning a lot. And when you're saying tens of thousands, you're meaning a whole lot. Right? No one's really doing the math. And, uh, and so when these, uh, when these people, when these women are singing, they're singing, you know, um, the, the generals uh, killed a million uh, you know, the king has killed a million, the generals killed a billion, right? They're just, they're, they're just singing. It's just a catchy song. No one's doing the math except for one person, Saul, right? He's up later that night and he's replaying it over and over and over in his head. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. What do they mean by that? Why would they say that? His wife's calling him home to beg and he's just pacing. 
Why would they say that? And he was replaying the afternoon over and over in his head. Why would they talk about David like that? That shepherd boy. Why would they talk about him like that? And, and suddenly, in his warped imagination, all those people that, that you know, showed up to see their sons and their husbands, uh, suddenly they're all there for David. And they're looking past him, and they're looking at David. David with this big, stupid smile, right? And he's turning it over and over in his head. And, and in his imagination, that smile gets more and more sinister. He's thinking to himself, why is he smiling like that? What's he thinking about? And suddenly it hits him. He wants to kill me. He wants to take my throne. And once that idea gets a foothold, he can't let go of it. And it consumes his life and it destroys his family and all of his relationships. Even his relationship with his own kingdom. But it all starts at this, this small little kernel. Isn't that how jealousy works? It gets, it gets a little foothold and, and we just, it's a little comment. Why did that man say he enjoyed seeing my wife? the other day. What did he mean by that? Right? Why did my boss uh, praise my coworker in that email? Don't you see how hard I work? What did she mean by that? Well, why, why did my friend um, post, uh, tag my other friend and, and her, her Facebook post about BFFs? Aren't we BFFs? Am I just a BF? And here I thought it was a BFFF, right? It's just, it, it just a little thing, and it, it, and it plants itself in us, and we can't let go of it. And then what happens next is we're unable to celebrate other people's accomplishments and other people's virtues. That's what happens for Saul. Defeating the Philistines is no small feat. They had a reputation in the ancient world for, for being fierce warriors uh, who, who consumed everything in their path. And the fact that they were a, able to beat them back and not losing inch was cause for celebration for everybody. And, and for King Saul, it should have been a moment of, of special pride because it all happened under his leadership. But he's unable to celebrate because of his jealousy. Have you ever been unable to celebrate the good fortunes of someone else because of jealousy? Have you ever Oscar clapped for someone? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's like uh, during the Oscars when all those uh, people up for, for like best actress or something like that, like the cameras on all of them and one of them wins and goes up and gives the expectant speech, the acceptance speech. But, uh, but, but the camera's on all the other people and so they've got that big fake planted smile and they're clapping. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Have you ever Oscar clapped for someone right, when they got the promotion 
or, or when, when they wound up pregnant or, or got engaged or when they retired and you're not there yet. Have you ever Oscar clapped for someone? I'm so happy for you, right? It becomes this inability to celebrate the good fortune of others, what God has blessed them with, because we can't see past our own insecurity and our own jealousy. Maybe you're fooling everybody. Maybe you're really good at that Oscar clap. But sooner or later, jealousy always spills out into the open. That's the thing that happens next. Saul's jealousy becomes outright hostility. Right? Pretty soon, it's not just these internal thoughts. Pretty soon, he's actually picking up spears off the wall and throwing them at his young harpist. The Bible says he was in the middle of prophesying. Apparently, King Saul had a little uh, Pentecostal in him because what would happen is the Spirit of God would fall on him and he'd start prophesying. This happens uh, in, in the book of 1 Samuel right after Saul becomes king. He sees this traveling band of prophets and they're all prophesying and uh, Saul is so happy he's just been anointed that he joins in their parade and he starts prophesying with them. Apparently Saul had a knack for prophesying. And so there's all these people gathering in the throne room, music is playing, and Saul is, uh, has, has the Spirit of God on him and he's prophesying. He's, he's, he's giving the word. And then suddenly his face changes. And suddenly he picks up a spear off the wall and he hurls it at the musicians. Can you imagine? They were having church. Imagine if, if, if you were in a church service and in the middle of sweet hour of prayer, the, the pastor just started picking up things and throwing them at the organist. You'd be running through the doors. You'd say, that, that dude has an evil spirit. What happened? What possessed him? And that's what people were saying about Saul. He has an evil spirit. Something, something came from out of nowhere and possessed him. But Saul knows it seemed to come out of nowhere, but it's been growing in his heart for a while. It's that little piece of jealousy that he's not been able to let go of, and it's metastasizing. It's become something more. And it becomes outright hostility. In marriages, it can take the form of, of, of accusations and, 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 and spying. In families, that jealousy can become hostility and unforgiveness and, 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 and people maneuvering with each other instead of treating each other as family. In work, it can be tersely worded emails and smear campaigns on social media. Be that way in school, too. In school, you can have outright fights in the middle of the cafeteria, right? And all at its heart is about jealousy. Sometimes it's in smaller ways. Sometimes the spears are the words we choose. Oh, we sharpen those words. 
and we throw them and we say, I'm going to pin them to the wall. But however jealousy manifests itself in our lives, it never stays in here. If it's not dealt with, it always spills out into the open. And once that happens, it starts this spiral. And it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. You see, King Saul, he was right. David did replace him. You know, David did become king. David did seize his throne. But what he was wrong about was that it wasn't anything David was aspiring to. The, the dark, self-fulfilling prophecy came from Saul's own behavior. He basically drove David out of the kingdom, and his relentless pursuit of him caused him to go raising army. And then suddenly uh, the nation's picking sides, and they're at war, and thousands are dying, and Saul winds up falling on his sword, and the people make David king. It becomes this, this fulfilling prophecy. Happens, happens in relationships too, doesn't it? See, the, the, the husband thinks it's that person out there, that, that outward threat, right? That's going to end our marriage. But it actually winds up being his oafish behavior. <laughs> the, constant, the constant accusations, the mistrust, the spying, that's the stuff that undoes the fabric of the marriage and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. Jealousy destroys relationships. The green-eyed monster, once it gets a hold of us, once it gets a foothold, that evil spirit, once it plants itself in our heart, it destroys everything. Our relationships with one another and our very souls. Seems kind of hopeless then, doesn't it? Like a disease without a cure. In preparation for today, I was um, reading some articles about jealousy. And one of them was in Psychology Today. And um, the Psychology Today article was giving advice, and this was about romantic jealousy, about um, what you should do if your partner is jealous. And one of the things that rightly points out is a lot of people say jealousy is a sign of love, but it's actually a sign of insecurity. Um, it actually goes back to uh, the feelings of, of inadequacy and, and, and insecurity um, in the partner that's jealous. And so uh, the article gave some good advice. And this is, of course, assuming the person is... Uh, not violent and abusive, in which case, like, you just get out of that relationship, right? But uh, this was the advice that uh, the, the psychologist gave. You should realize that your partner's jealousy isn't about you, it's about them. Respond to expressions of jealousy by reassuring your partner of your love. Research has shown that couples who respond to jealousy with reassurance tend to have more stable relationships. Actually, makes a lot of sense when you think about it, doesn't it? But I found those words to be, to be wise and, and, and life 
thanksgiving in a way because I thought of moments of my own life where I was jealous and all I need was reassurance. All I needed was someone to reassure me. I, I think of, of times when, when, when Crystal would just uh, uh, lay my head in her lap and stroke my hair and say, shh, you're being silly. Being silly. You know I love you. Thor is not even a real person. <laughs> right? Right? And that's all I needed. Those moments of reassurance. To, to, to be reassured of Crystal's love. But here's the problem. What do you do if you're in a relationship where the jealousy is warranted or, or, or your spouse is not the reassuring type or, or, or what do you do if, if, if you're in a family that, that the dynamic is, 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 is so broken that people don't know how to properly show love or you're in a work environment that, that, that's toxic and people are pitted against each other and there's no one there to reassure you. What do you do then? Friends, I know of a source of unlimited assurance. I know of a source of unlimited assurance. Hear the good news. Your father loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has numbered the hairs on your head. And he longs to reassure you. He longs to assure you of his love. Several months ago, we talked about the prodigal son. The prodigal son could easily be retitled as the jealous brother. We see the jealousy in the older brother, don't we? The, the, the younger brother goes and squanders the inheritance and, and he comes back and uh, he's welcomed with open arms by the father and there's a big, uh, they kill the faggot calf, and there's a big party going on, and the jealous brother is outside, and he's stewing, and he's not going in, right? And we see all the steps. We see him taking this imagined slight, right, and, and making a big thing out of it. No one ever killed a faggot calf for me. I never got so much as a goat, right? And then his dad comes out, and now, uh, now it's become hostility. He's sharpening his spears. You never once in all this time showed me the kind of love you're showing him in there, right? And what does the father do? He takes him in his arms and he says, My son, you know I love you and all I have is yours. He reassures him. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us how this parable ends. It's open-ended for a reason. We're supposed to imagine ourselves in it. But I kind of think that that's all the brother needed was that reassurance. And that he calms down, and he goes inside, and he enjoys the party. But sometimes that's all we need. What if the next time you were jealous? What if the next time you were dealing with this deep insecurity? What if the next time you were, you were jonesing for some reassurance? 
you got down on your knees and you prayed. And you let the Father's love just wash over you and reassure you that even if the world doesn't treat you right, you're valuable beyond measure to Him because He gave His life to have you. What if you got lost in that reassurance? And what if this building, what if this church was a place that jealousy came to die? What if this were the place that everyone left their spears outside in their car and they came and they reassured one another of the Father's love? What if this was a place where everyone would celebrate your accomplishments? And when you have no accomplished to celebrate, accomplishments to celebrate, where you would be reminded that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we believe in you. What if this were a place of mutual assurance? No spears allowed. What if this were the one place where the green-eyed monster couldn't enter, where that evil spirit couldn't find a foothold? I want to end by giving you some words of reassurance. This is a blessing by Ramey Shapiro I, I found in a book. It's called Unending Love. And it reminds us that we are loved by a God who, whose love never ends, who is always here to, to comfort us and to reassure us. But at the end, at the very end of this blessing, it reminds us that we are also here to comfort and reassure each other. This is my blessing for you. You are loved by an unending love. You are embraced by arms that find you, even when you are hidden from yourself. You are touched by fingers that soothe you, even when you are too proud for soothing. You are counseled by voices that guide you even when you are too embittered to hear. You are loved by an unending love. We are supported by hands that uplift us even in the midst of a fall. We are urged on by eyes that meet us even when we are too weak for meeting. We are loved by an unending love, embraced, touched, soothed, and counseled. Ours are the arms, the fingers, the voices. Ours are the hands, the eyes, the smiles. We are loved by an unending love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.